Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamline, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. While Larry Gershon, my co-host, and I scour the news every week for stories, and we also are blessed with a series of wonderful guests. And I understand, Larry, we have a very special guest joining us tonight. Who do we have on the line? We do. Yeah, we do. Uh, Bill Wells began his public service in 2004 as a planning commissioner and was elected to the El Cajon City Council in 2008. He was appointed mayor in 2013 when his predecessor, Mayor Mark Lewis, resigned and Bill won his first full term in 2014. As a mental health professional with 30 years of experience as a doctor of clinical psychology and a registered nurse, he has become a nationally recognized expert on homelessness and has written articles for local and national publications, as well as being a regular on shows like Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Fox and Fred's Fox Business, Trace Gallagher uh, show, and One America News. So thank you for coming on the show uh, this evening, Bill. Oh, thanks. What a great introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, Bill, listening to that introduction, I mean, I don't know how, t- how you have time to, to run for Congress. It is just one of those things that you bring this wealth of experience that is coveted in today's world. I mean, expertise on homelessness, on mental health, isn't that what we're talking about almost every day in the wake of almost any kind of tragedy. Uh, what was it that made you think uh, and, and really sort of fuels your desire to become uh, more involved politically? I mean, we love that you're doing it, but what inspired you? You know, I think it started COVID with like a lot of people, you know, I, I was looking for things to fill my time and I, I wanted to understand what's happening in the world around me. So I, I started studying totalitarianism. I, I read this great book called, the psychology of totalitarianism, and it kind of fueled this interest. And I, it, it, I came to the conclusion that America was careening towards some kind of a soft totalitarianism, and it wasn't years and years away. It was maybe this election cycle or next election cycle away. And that really sobered me and made me think, you know, I've got to try to do something. And I felt like I had the, the opportunity and the uh, ability to win in this district. And so I, I felt like I had an obligation. And that's, that's really what fueled me. That's great. So, Bill, if you were elected, what would be some of your goals for the office? Well, you know, for, you know for, I have a huge interest in mental health. I've, I've done it all my life. And so I, I think that the, the way that we're treating people right now by allowing them to die on the sides of the streets, by not giving them treatment for the mental health problems that they have and for the addiction problems they have. I, I think it's reprehensible. And I 
would hold California accountable and try to pass bills that would cut off their funding. So you cut off their uh, health and human services dollars, you cut off their transportation dollars, you cut off whatever dollars you can and say, look, you can run the state the way you want, but we have to have some basic standards in America. And one of those standards is you don't let people die on the sides of the road. And um, that, that, so that would be one of my first issues. But like everybody else, I, I'm, there's a thousand things I'm concerned about, you know, like the border and like the cost of living and, and the, uh, the fact that you worry about sending your teenager to a party because they might die of a fentanyl overdose. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on parental rights. And so the, these are things that I'm uh, focused on. I think the things that most people are really focused on, and not, you know, my opponent seems really focused on abortion and transgender rights, and that's basically it. You know, Bill, there's just, you mentioned so many really pressing issues that we're all facing together, and, you know, you're just scratching the surface on a couple of them. How would you prioritize your, your really unique skill set and expertise that you bring to the table? How would you prioritize what you're going to do first? Well, I think all of us have come to the conclusion the border's got to be closed. You know, the analogy I give you, if you came home and found a pipe broken in your house, the first thing you do is turn off the water. And so we got, you know, watching what's happening with Hamas and Israel, and we know that uh, dangerous terrorist organizations are sending people across the border. We've got we to close that border. So that's got to be first. Um, and then I, I think that the mental health crisis is actually – just a, a rung or two below that in, in, in importance. I, I think that uh, that would probably be one of the big focuses that I would continually push for in, in uh, Congress. You know, Bill, uh, Prop 1 that will be on the ballot in March of 2024 will uh, supposedly expand mental health and addiction services for tens of thousands of Californians. Uh, each year to create housing settings where over 11,000 Californians with the severest mental health needs can live, recover, stabilize, and thrive. And again, according to the uh, proposition, it will provide a billion dollars to ensure our veterans that are experiencing, who are experiencing homelessness and mental health issues will get the help they need. Are you familiar with this Prop 1, and do you think it's a good idea as a start? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a great idea to start with. Um, I think we're going to have to spend a lot more than a billion dollars, unfortunately. Uh, you know, California has spent $25 billion on the Housing First model, and that's been an utter and complete disaster. And the main reason is that they don't have the political will to, to really address the mental health issue or the homeless or the addiction issue. So, you know, I welcome... Uh, the governor's care court idea. I, I welcome this idea about Prop One if if it's going to help the situation. But I I think we got to have if we're really going to address it, we have to go significantly further. You know, Bill, um, uh, you've mentioned so many issues. Uh, homelessness and fentanyl are, are two that are you know near and dear to our, our hearts here in San Diego. If there were like a short list of potential solutions to the homelessness crisis, just as a practical matter. I'm sure you get asked this all the yeah. time, but what would you say, you know, just a couple streamlined, very practical solutions, maybe solution isn't the right word, but ways that we can begin to ameliorate the scenario or the situation, what would you say? 
Well, first off, I, I honestly believe that we didn't, we don't have to have homelessness. You know, people say that, oh, you, you can't solve it. We say, well, I used to live in California when we didn't have a significant homeless problem. So I, I think we can do it again. But we have to change our political attitude, our political narrative. Um, you know, th- this whole idea that it's completely acceptable to live on the streets, that's got to be dealt with. That's, that's got, from a, a, a legal standpoint, that's got to change. This idea that people should not be held responsible and not that we should close prisons. You know, we've closed two prisons in the past five years. That's got to change as well. We've got to be able to go. And when I say we, I mean, our police officers, our cities have to have the tools available to go to people that are living on the streets and, and saying, you need to get off the street and get treatment. We want to help you. But if they just refuse treatment over and over again, at some point they've got to be either placed in a state hospital because they're too psychotic to make a good decision, or they've got to be placed in incarceration. And people really react strongly to that and say, oh, that's a horrible thing. But I think you have to look at your definition of compassion. If My definition of compassion is that you help people that need to be helped. And sometimes if they're not able to make a good decision, you make that decision for them. Uh, this idea that compassion is just letting people do whatever they want. Well, heck, if you've ever raised children, you know that uh, you're not a good parent or a compassionate parent by letting your kids do whatever they want. You have to set some boundaries and, and guidelines. So I think that's the, the first step. We would have to rebuild uh, psychiatric mental hospitals. Uh, we would have to reopen prisons. And we would have to change the, the laws. The, there's a there's a, a group of laws called the LPS laws, Latimer Petrus Short in California, which govern the 72-hour hold and conservatorship laws, we have to have the political will to make those tougher and give physicians and other mental health professionals the power to uh, make decisions for people that can't make their own. That's how I start. Uh, this is kind of a just an idea I had. I'm not sure it would work, but uh, as I remember growing up as a little kid, there, there was used to be a place called Boys Town where they would send like problem kids I had this vision if if they could create a city like way out, you know, somewhere between here and Arizona, they would have these people. It would train them in job skills, the ones that could be trained. It would give them medical care. It would give them places to sleep. I, I don't even know if that's possible, but it's kind of an idea of uh, creating a city somewhere out, kind of in a place where, you know, there's, there's nobody else around just to help them out. Because I don't think it's, I agree with you, there's not compassion to leave people, you know, on the street, it's dangerous for them. Where where would you put it? You know, it kind of reminds me of the, the the discussion we have around where to place sexually violent predators in the community. It's like, where do you even put something like that if it were feasible? So two-part question for you, Bill, from both Larry and I. Well, first off, that, that idea has been kicked around several times. There's a, a, a idea about so called Sunbreak Ranch right now, which is very similar to that. And that, that idea has a lot of merit. The problem is that the rules and the laws in California uh, do not give police or courts the ability to force people to go to a place like that. So you have to rely on people agreeing to go to a place like that. And that, you know, we have a, we actually have a lot of open beds between the rescue mission and and the East County Transitional Living Center. And uh, there's another place up in uh, Oceanside. They've got they've got uh, open beds, but people won't go there because they want to continue using drugs. And it's a hard concept for people to accept. They, they think that when they see people on the streets, they're just there because they have no choice. No, they have lots of choices. Mm-hmm. They just don't want. 
You know, Bill, we're at the end of the show, but how, how do people learn more about you? If they want to go to my website, it's wellsforcongress2024.com and sign up. And if you send me an email, I'll call you back. I'd be happy to talk to anybody anytime. And I really appreciate you guys giving me the time to, to talk and uh, go over these complex issues. Thank you so Thank much you, for Bill. joining us, Bill. Bill Wells, there he goes. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy and my co-host Larry Dershman and I will be back in a flash, so don't touch that dial. More coming up fast for the break. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Since 1991, the nonprofit National Law Center for Children and Families has been fighting to protect children from sexual exploitation. The National Law Center offers the latest investigative training techniques to police, probation officers, and prosecutors on fighting sexual predators and human traffickers. The NLC also offers human trafficking awareness training to members of the public. Schedule a training for your church or organization today by visiting nationallawcenter.org. That's nationallawcenter.org. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. We're going to be talking in the second half of the show about something that you no doubt talk about every single day, I would say, whether you know it or not. And that is none other than artificial intelligence, affectionately known as AI. Uh, which, by the way, Larry, was the title of a movie that I very much enjoyed I got up decades ago now, I think, when it was inconceivable to some people that there would be such things as robots that were able to, to think, uh, so to speak, not in the sentient fashion, but thinking enough to be able to really help us out. But I have to tell you, Larry, this artificial intelligence discussion, I'm sure we'll be revisiting it probably multiple times as we move forward. The more we learn about it, the more cautious a lot of people are about what exactly they are willing to delegate to AI, learning more and more almost every day that there are just some things that are better done ourselves. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I think universities, even high schools, are rushing to start new degree programs and colleges dedicated to AI. Civil society organizations are scrambling to understand the impact of AI technology on humanity and governments are competing to encourage or regulate AI research and deployment. And I think what really kicked this off, Wendy, is this application called ChatGPT, which stands for Chat Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. It's a large language model-based chatbot developed by a company or organization called OpenAI, and listen to this. It was launched on November 30th of 2022. You know, that's last yeah. year, uh, yeah. which enables the users to refine and steer conversations toward desired length, format, style, level, detail, language. But by January of 2023, it had become what was the fastest growing consumer software application in history, gaining over 100 million users and contributing to AI's valuation growing to $29 billion. But it's raised concerns. Yeah. Uh, a lot of concerns, Wendy. You know, the, the interesting thing about ChatGPT, and I'm glad you, you, I'm glad we're starting with that, is um, I wouldn't cite it just like I wouldn't cite Wikipedia, but it's a brainstorming tool. I mean, like I can put in a query that says, what do, what do modern jurors care about? And it'll give me five ideas. And then if I want more, I hit regenerate. It gives me five more. I'm not 
relying on it as authority, but it's a brainstorming tool and it doesn't, you don't have to scroll through ads to sort of interact with it. Um, and I, th- I know there's people out there that do the same thing just to kind of have a, uh, a way to generate ideas and content, whether you're writing a story or whether you're, you know, searching for a creative component, you know, what to add to a presentation. But I can't help but be reminded, let me show my age here a little bit, but that's okay, Lever. I know you're a bit older than I am. Remember the great question articulated by the supercomputer Hal in the closing segment of the 2010 installment of the Space Odyssey. Dr. Chandra, will I dream? Do you remember that? I don't. I I need to check it out. Yeah. I think Dr. Chandra's answer characterizes what we know about AI today. Quote, I don't know. Is that part of the problem that we don't know exactly what AI does? Oh, it's going to be huge. But get this ready. Chat GPT is now being used to automatically write emails. Microsoft and Salesforce, which is a huge company, have recently announced new products that have that exact feature. And in a recent viral TikTok video, it was shown how it's possible to use Chat GPT integrated with something called Google Sheets, which is a free app like Excel, to write custom LinkedIn messages to executives asking for a meeting with them. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm getting a bunch of those. Don't you get a bunch of emails like this every day where people you don't know are asking to set up Zoom calls and things? I, I wonder if this is part of what we're, we're using AI for. And, you know, when, when you think about the word artificial. I mean, that's a curious title, don't you think, for such a significant development? I mean, in a day and age of keto, gluten-free, non-GMO, grass-fed products, we're not fond of artificial anything, much less intelligence. Yet, the fact that, as you point out, it's being used to craft messages designed to get you a job, presumably, means people are relying on it as if it were humanly intelligent. Yeah, and AI is purely logical. I said Forbes magazine, it makes decisions based on preset parameters that leave little room for nuance and emotion. In turn, this makes it very difficult to incorporate areas such as ethics and morality into the algorithm. AI notoriously fails in capturing and responding to intangible human factors that go into real-life decision-making. Uh, that was according to Harvest Business Review. So I think there's some real dangers. It's so smart, but yet it, it could be misused. I suppose most technologies can be misused, but this is a real danger. You know, I think the fact that the numbers have grown as significantly as you mentioned uh, is, is uniquely problematic because if you think about it, somebody is programming this. So if you have someone that's bringing all kinds of implicit biases, for example, to the way they program, that they're going to have this closed universe of information that is itself going to be biased and give you those kind of answers. So when you think about ethics, I mean, it's everywhere already, from the classroom to the boardroom to the courtroom. Uh, I would say AI has become ubiquitous, and I think your statistics pretty much bear that out. But isn't it also true that it depends on how you use it? And that's why I wanted to give the example of a brainstorming tool, a creativity tool, uh, not something you rely upon, you know, as many lawyers have really been embarrassed at what comes out the other end if they're going to use it to write a, br- a brief. I guess they call those robot briefs. <laughs> I don't think we're using that anymore. 
But, you know, you've got a competence issue. Uh, you've also got this idea of chemistry. You know, in-person communication, especially, uh, you know, in the business arena, as well as in person, you've got chemistry. And even if you're, like, interviewing for a job, you, you can't get anywhere near. You can't hardly do that on a Zoom call. How will AI ever replace the types of things that I hear discussed in the news almost every day that they're trying to replace. You can't have chemistry with a bot. Somebody has a counter argument. I would love to hear that one. Yeah, you can't, but you know, probably one of the biggest concerns right now with AI is the potential for job losses. Increased automation brought about by AI has the potential, Wendy, to displace jobs, particularly in fields where the tasks are repetitive and easily automated. It could, uh, one estimate says it could displace roughly 15% of the workers or 4 million people worldwide between uh, today and 2030, which is not that far away. And it's, re it's regarded widely currently as the number one downside of AI. I'm sure there could be other downsides, but that's one of the biggest concerns right now is job uh, displacement. You know, I love that example, Larry. You, do you remember you and I and our families went on that Christian Legal Society cruise uh, a couple of years ago? And I remember there was a robot bartender that was mixing drinks. And it reminded me of those old movies where you always have people going into bars, not because they want to drink, because, but because they want to talk to the bartender. They're lonely. You, there are just some jobs that aren't as well suited for automation. Uh, now, we all know that every time we're online, from research to reservations, deposits to directions, we are talking to people that are not real, but we're also not zipping around town in self-driving cars. Uh, ironically, we accept rides from our partners and kids who may be worse drivers than that. We're <laughs> just not as comfortable interacting uh, with robots, as I think people, people understand, what would be ideal, and I don't know if this is happening yet or not, is they don't replace jobs. Perhaps they enhance the repetitive nature of jobs that some people would rather not do anyway, freeing up their time for more creativity. I mean, is that in the works? Or are we simply talking, especially in a lot of uh, maybe blue-collar professions that, as you mentioned, involve repetitive activity, are they just going to do away with those jobs? I feel like I see health-wanted signs everywhere I go. Yeah, I, I think, well, it's hard to say, but if it's my guess, I think it definitely will replace the number of jobs, but I think a lot of people can be retrained. Uh, they can just go back to school, to junior college or college, university, and learn another skill. That's the hope. But uh, it's really interesting. AI tools can analyze, for example, medical images such as x-rays, MRI scans, or CT scans that help identify anomalies that might indicate a developing disease. And it can do it so much faster than people can do it. But again, we're talking about informational, uh, the use of these almost like a, a, a computer that helps you write term papers or this or that. But what, but what if they put these in machines, like robots that can come to your door and say, you're under arrest. I mean, the sky's the limit to what these things could do if they get in the wrong hands. So well, you laugh, but remember, we covered a, we covered a story like that uh, last year, robot police in one in one jurisdiction that was that was getting tickets. Um, you know, AI is certainly not autofill, but it uses patterns to make predictions in the same way that we do. But I have to say, yeah. you know, I feel like this whole discussion is really motivated by the need for speed, as they say. 
we want to do everything quicker. And I always worry. We think that AI is not going to make a mistake because it can learn to beat the world's best chess player in just a matter of hours, the way it learns. But we've got this duty of diligence to kind of oversee the information that it gives us simply because somebody programmed this. And, you know, I know that we're at the end of the show. I, I, I wish for this topic we had like another hour uninterrupted because there are so many different angles. Um, and I guess we'll just like in the, in the minute we have remaining, you know, AI is never going to take the place of real life networking receptions, of first dates, of, of teams of people working together because they have, they've got game, as we used to say growing up, they've got chemistry together. You know, so if we're going to learn how to delegate, but we're also going to learn that we can never delegate the really important parts of being a human being, because that's the way God designed us in the name of God. All right. David, I, we I like that. We're going to end it with that, and I'm sure we'll pick this back up again. Uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. We are going to see you next Saturday night, same time, same place. In the meantime, have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Since 1991, the nonprofit National Law Center for Children and Families has been fighting to protect children from sexual exploitation. The National Law Center offers the latest investigative training techniques to police, probation officers, and prosecutors on fighting sexual predators and human traffickers. The NLC also offers human trafficking awareness training to members of the public. Schedule a training for your church or organization today by visiting nationallawcenter.org. That's nationallawcenter.org. 